Happy Friday, everybody. Busy. Busy sports weekend. Championship games. UFC comes back to Toronto in classic fashion when it's freezing cold here. We we host a big event. And by the way, you know, you can get the UFC on Sportsnet Plus. It's, it's Sportsnet's big debut. Yeah, everybody's got to, everybody's on their P's and Q's. Everybody's got to get it done right. Massive Leafs weekend. It's the, it's the Vancouver Super Bowl, as you call it. The Canucks playing the Maple Leafs when they have to move the time up to seven o'clock on the West Coast for a Saturday, our seven o'clock, not their seven o'clock. And yeah, the new look Raptors going to keep humming along. But I got thoughts on all these things today. We got a major show. Got Chael Sonnen taped him yesterday. Had a great interview. Really enjoyed it. Coming up in a couple of minutes. Talked to Jeff Saturday, the man, just awesome dude. You can see why he got that coaching job when they were like, Jeff, have you coached? He's like, no, he's like, don't worry about it. You're the best. You're just the best guy. We're, we're going to let you do this. Jump on in there. It's like, thank you. I will. And then Dreykus Duplessis, the challenger, who weirdly was the real heel yesterday at the, the media conferences. I thought it would be kind of split. I thought that there would some, be some people that would be cheering for Dreykus and no, it was completely Sean Strickland. It was his crowd, 100% including the fan that ran up and shook his hand, unless uh, if you missed that one. But quickly, before we, we, we do the chill tape, I did Leafs talk last night with Bourne. So go over there, subscribe and review if you want a real detailed account of last night's game. And Bourne and I hadn't chatted in a while, so we went a little long. It's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a long interview. It's about... 30, 35 minutes of a show. Usually we try to keep Leafs talks to just a crisp 25, right? We went a little longer yesterday, catching up, talking about a few things. So we talked about the state of the Leafs and what the, what the win meant and all this different stuff. But th- here's what's been kind of sitting with me as I went to bed last night and here's I woke up this morning. Yes, was it a crucial win for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Absolutely it was. Austin Matthews basically did what great leaders and great players are supposed to do. When it's a moment of crisis, they're supposed to lead by example. And that's exactly what Austin Matthews did in that game. The hat trick, a beautiful hat trick, one that includes a goal where the team looks completely down and out in the first period, bang, game changer gets an opportunity and he puts it away. And there were other guys in this team that had those opportunities late in the third and they weren't able to accomplish what Austin Matthews did. When he got his chances, he, he finished them, all three. And he ends up with hats on the road and God, what a exhilarating time for Calgary fans who paid probably an arm and a leg to get them off season ticket holders. And all of a sudden you're seeing Austin Matthews and he comes through with a hat trick in a crucial spot. When you think you're going to be at that, when you think you're going to be at Saddle Dome getting embarrassed, all of a sudden Matthews is saving you in front of all these fans. But Matthews, brilliance aside, which I equated to Josh Allen on last night's show, which is, boy, you, sometimes you just feel like a team is being carried by one singular player. And if anything, his Stefan Diggs was Mitch Marner last night. The other way around, though, right? How that works. But they've got Hockey Night in Canada Saturday night. They've got another game on Sunday. They've still got this Western Conference trip. And Sheldon Keefe, the way that he played last night's game, yet again, was... Here's my stars. I'm going to play. I'm going to play them into the ground. I'm going to play these guys every single shift I can. And you look down the, the game notes and it's 10 minutes for Domi. 
It's 10 minutes for another guy who's supposed to be in the top six this year, Matthew Nyes, who you don't feel as critical of because he's not making a lot of money. He's a rookie. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. But it looks to me anyways like Sheldon Keefe is trying on the fly to become more of a hard ass. He's saying, you want Craig Berube? I'll give you a little Craig Berube. He's barking at two of his top paid players last night as they're staying on the ice a little bit too long, telling them, get off, get off, get off, to the point where the broadcast is noting it going, whoa, that's that's fairly interesting. And my interpretation of that is, yeah, this guy is someone who doesn't have, he doesn't feel like there's much to lose. He's in the media saying he doesn't know who he can trust 40 games into the season. It's a pretty harsh indictment. And in the past, when Sheldon Keefe has made comments like this, he has a tendency to walk them back or there's a little refractory period where we go, oh, yeah, he's probably, he's meant something else. And the Toronto media was twisting it and it was a little out of context. And here's the actual other part of the answer that you didn't really focus enough on. No, that was it. Pretty plain and stone cold. And it's going to be pretty fascinating if it's, it's going to be wins and losses. They're going to need to win these games, but Will this road trip where some people say they bring teams together, will a road trip bring a team together and will a couple more guys start to emerge as dudes Sheldon Keefe can trust? Because I I don't think it's sustainable without that. I think that you, if you're blaming the coach, great. If you're blaming the players, great. But I think we can all agree that there is some, there is a, a strong connection right now between those two. And the need for both of them to be able to get on the same page. Sheldon Keefe is going to have to play some of these guys a little bit more and trust them in spots. And these dudes clearly have to do a better job at earning that trust. And what transpires, I think, over the weekend is going to be absolutely massive in terms of job security and what this team looks like moving forward. Because, yeah, we, it's still something like 45 days, 46 days until the trade deadline. But that's with an all-star break in the middle. And I, I kind of feel like this has now become the real crucible of the regular season. This Western Conference trip with these hard teams heading into that break, it's kind of now or never as to whether or not Sheldon Keefe and these guys can start to trust one another. Anyways, uh, not very often get a chance to talk to guys that are better speakers than me. Chael Sonnen, here he is. Very, very, very excited to be joined by, I think, one, one of the best talkers ever in sports. Nonetheless, just MMA. It's the MMA legend and, of course, host of Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. It's Chael Sonnen. How are we doing, bro? Well, J.D., thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it's great to be here. Thanks, buddy. So let me start with this. Um, this, this fight the way that they've kind of built it, the, the main event anyways. I, you, you did a great job on your podcast talking about how it sort of went from a nothing fight, no one was really paying attention to this, and all of a sudden now there's like a pretty big build and we're all pretty excited for it. I think a lot of it probably has to do with the, the little mini fight that the two had in the stands, some of the barbs that they've thrown between the two of them. But I'm curious to talk to, yeah, I think you are the, the number one trash talker in the sports history about what you think about Sean Strickland's style, because he's honest. Um, he's very different from you where like yours was kind of like clever and funny. His is just like blunt and raw, but is it like, what do you make of it? What do you, do you like it? 
Well, I, I'm, I'm observing it. I mean, I have to tell you from that standpoint, in full disclosure, Sean is a, uh, a former teammate of mine, training partner, uh, friend. Uh, I, I just got to disclose that because I'm still trying to look at him accurately. And sometimes when you have those biases, it's tough. Look, I'll tell you what, I've had sweaty palms a few times watching mm. him. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, he even came through, through council culture. Not that that's gone right now, but it was a little bit stronger a year or so ago, and he was going red hot. There was discussions of ESPN, right? ESPN started to get blamed for this. Hey, ESPN, be real careful. Uh, whether he becomes champion or not, you can't have him as your main event. You can't have him at your press conferences. You can't have him on your networks. And I think people were listening. I think he was saying some stuff that, that had a lot of people nervous, and he has not backed down. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that he does have so far is success. And the number one thing that matters in America is success. So as long as he's a winner, he's going to keep on getting those interviews out. I can tell you that, J.D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you saw yesterday, media conference? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. But sweaty Paul, I'm used to Sean Strickland now, right? I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. I know who he is. And yet every time it's still like, oh, there's no way. It's like, yeah, this, we're, we're going forward. We're, we're moving forward. It, tell, me, tell me if you can see this point back because I really am trying to observe this. Like I'm not uh-huh. quite ready yet to – to put my finger on and identify new rules or new levels of acceptance. I'm just trying to observe. Uh, but, but I will tell you, it, it seems as though there is something to the uh, authenticity, something to the fact yeah. that it's very true what you and I are saying, and you and I aren't the only ones saying this. It's very true that ESPN and other people do get a little bit nervous, that Dana White gets a little bit nervous. All of these things are true, and Sean knows it. And it just seems like every time he goes to that pulpit, he's going – to smooth it down just a little bit. He's going to change just a little bit. He's going to step into a championship position, a leadership position, if you will. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do it. He hasn't changed no. one bit. He no. has not backed off anything. And there is something about that that I find at this point a little bit endearing. Okay. I, 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 okay. So he says his truth, right? It's not the truth. It's not everybody's truth. But he, that's that, you just tapped into what I think it is a little bit with Sean Strickland is you can hate his guts and you can hate so many of the things that he says, but you can also kind of admire the fact that he is fearlessness in his positions and that he doesn't back down for somebody else. And may, and you would say, well, that's an easier position to take when you're at the very top, right? And you're undeniably the champion. And, but he's, he's done it all along, right? Like this isn't a new thing. And as he's taken on this different role, he's continued to do the thing. And what I find a little fascinating about it is I think a lot of us are afraid to speak our mind, afraid to share our deepest, darkest thoughts about certain things. And we, we kind of look at that and say, God, even if some of the takes that he has are idiotic, it must be freeing just to be able to kind of let it fly like that. And then the second part of it is, to me, since Conor McGregor, there's been a lot of trying to emulate Connor in terms of the way that he sells fights. And we've had guys like Colby Covington come through. I don't know if he's a friend of yours, and I'm really not trying to be overly rude to Colby, but it doesn't come off as authentic. It doesn't come off as him. It feels forced, and it feels not funny. It feels kind of lame to a lot of us. And that's what we're searching for, is champions who can actually sell a fight in an in an organic and authentic way where they are just being themselves. And that in itself kind of generates discussion about the personality in the fight. I I love the way you just said it. I I really do love the way that you just said it. And yeah. And and I do also wonder, and there'll be no way to know, right. Unless we get to this point, there's no crystal ball, but what will this look like a year from now? Like, let's say Sean is still the champion. If he's the champion a year from now, 
that's a very successful champion. That will be three title defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a year on top in the UFC, three title defenses means there's three press conferences, means there's three post-fight interviews, means there's three, <laughs> three media tours. I'm I mean, getting those imagine? sweaty palms, and my stomach is in knots even just thinking about you saying that. Like, it's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I hope that you and I make a habit of this, by the way, because I do think that right now we're, we're, we're not tiptoeing like everyone else. I feel like you and I are doing a very good job of assessing this for what it is and making an observation. Yeah. And I, I'll be curious if our observations change down the road or if you and I do start to get a little bit squeamish about this. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he is going in directions. And, look, the media has seen him up. I get very confused. I get very uncomfortable when people discuss sexuality, what they're into or what somebody else is into. It just feels like a very private thing to me. No interest. The media asks him about it. I mean, he's yesterday the one that you and I uh, referenced, the press conference, but the media asked him. He didn't bring it up. They went to him and brought up that topic. Like, okay, you know, you guys are poking the bear, and the bear is not going to back down. And I just wonder if you and I are in the same spot a year from now, what is this going to look like? Is this going to be the most squeamish yes. topic in all of sports? Or are we going to start to accept it? I don't know. I, but I am sitting back and I am watching because I am curious. Yeah. I, uh, again, my stomach is in knots thinking about it. I can't believe the, sure. I, well, I just think about even being that media person. And I thought the same thing is, Hey, what, what is your end goal with this? Right? Like, what are you like, who is this for, right? Are you trying to demonstrate to the audience who they should be rooting for or whether they should have a rooting interest? Like, what is what is your stake in doing it this way? And I, I still haven't been able to lock that down, but you had to know what the answer was going to be, and you had to know the way that he was going to take the questions. And, yeah, you're sure. right. I, I don't know. I don't. God, it is fascinating now that I'm thinking about it, is what is going to be the appetite for this? Because, yeah, I'm squeamish now, and I can't imagine that it, that part of me is going to go away. And, you know, that leads to the, the other part of this is, do you think, because Dana is a pretty unafraid guy, right? And the UFC and the brand and all of this is just basically, hey, do, win and you're in. Win and do what you kind of want. And yet I kind of get the feeling of he's the one that will sell more than Dracus moving forward. But maybe he is someone that they say he makes us squeamish too. Who do you think they want to come out of this moving forward? Like if there's a dream Izzy fight down the line for them, or an Izzy rematch or moving past Sean Strickland, what do you think there? You know this organization. You've been a part of this. Or you're you're very sure. deeply embedded in this. Where do you think they're at with it? Sure. And, J.D., look, it, I do think that this has massive implications on it. I mean, this fight between these two, this is a must-see fight right now, but this thing was rushed through the market, and nobody was asking for it. I mean, Duplissy versus Strickland, when I tell you nobody was asking for it, Duplissy wasn't asking for it. Strickland wasn't asking for it. You and I weren't doing interviews about it. It was supposed to be Chamayo. Strickland was doing interviews about Jemaya. Jemaya was doing Strickland uh, or interviews, uh, vice versa. Dana White had already said Jemaya's the number one contender and he's next. I mean, so all of a sudden, and with no warning, we get announced that it's going to be Duplessis versus Strickland. Fair enough. But one of the reasons it did get rushed to the market, as I'm wording it, is because of Israel Adesanya's participation and willingness to return. Mm-hmm. So now you have UFC 300 sitting out there with a with the main event, I'm tying this all into your question, right? You asked me, who do I think the promotion yeah. wants to see win? So I'm interpreting that to mean who is going to be a bigger fight down the road, Izzy versus Duplissy or Izzy versus Strickland? And it's a hard one because Dana White himself believes that answer is Strickland. Dana White himself tried to book Izzy versus Strickland in front of everything else that we're discussing right now. However, the biggest feud and the hottest feud that I've ever seen more uncomfortable than anything that Sean Strickland has said was between Duplissy 
and uh, Israel Adesanya. Mm-hmm. These two were talking about who is the true African. One of them is white and one of them is black. That is the, the most uncomfortable topic in all of sports. This was so red hot, people would not even cover it because pundits didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to do this in a sophisticated manner like you and I are doing it right now. I think pundits are going to listen to what you and I are doing right now as the demo of how to cover a topic so sensitive moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that was the hottest view that there was. I've never seen anything like it, and it only lasted 10 days. So if you could build for two months Duplissy versus Strickland, I think you have something UFC 300 main event worthy. But Dana White sees it a little different, and mm-hmm. he sees the rematch with Strickland as the bigger of the two fights. So, look, 6 and one half dozen of the other. How did we get yeah. here? I don't fully know. But I got to tell you, J.D., I'm pumped, man. I mean, I really am excited for this card. And I got a job just like you, and it's to go out there and sell the fight. But I'm not going to manufacture something to our audience. Mm -hmm. It's a light card. In comparison to most pay-per-views they bring, it's a light card. But they got one on top of the bill. And this is the boxing model. Mm -hmm. And boxing's been around 100 years giving you one big fight. This is one big fight. But Strickland and Duplissy must happen. Yeah. Uh, I think in your last pod, you used the analogy of how the UFC was going to grow is by having the five fights. So multiply them all together so that you can get to the boxing level, right? And this yep. one, I look at it and it's just, to me, it's it's the main fight. For us in Canada, there's a little bit more interest in Mike Malott to see, hey, can this guy actually grab the reins as the Canadian fighter? Because it's been a void for us here in this country for quite some time now. Like we had, obviously, the incredible run of Georges St. Pierre. And then there was Rory who came along and we thought, oh, he was going to be the automatic replacement. And he had an awesome career. I actually think that Rory is probably a little underappreciated from Canadian mixed martial arts fans. But after that, it's been a void. So there is some a lot buzz, I think, on this card. But no, the main event is it, uh, that's the thing here. OK, this is the this is the everything to everybody is seeing how this actually materializes. And OK, to kind of close the loop on the trash talking thing, because I have been fascinated by this for, for a while. And, and I talked to our mutual friend, Ariel Hawani, about this um, maybe two, three months ago. Do you think that the line has moved? Do you think there was ever a line? Or is this just the way that we cover this now, maybe in the Internet era more, where we capture something? Uh, but I just do feel maybe, again, post-Connor, the Habib stuff that ended up happening. But, yeah, these guys have been debating a lot. Where is the line? What is the line? And you look at even some of the, the stuff that's been in the boxing promotions with the, the Jake Paul fights and how that happened with Dylan Dennis. Do you feel as though it really has changed materially? Yes, yes, I do, but I think that that's a normal ebb and flow. Mm. Um, I, I miss the Elvis uh, Presley phase. I, I was just too young, but that was my mother's favorite singer. My mother tells me a lot about Elvis, and all Elvis did on stage is he would shift his hips. Yeah. Not in a sexual manner, not in a thrusting manner. He yeah, would, he would shift sexual. his hips I've seen the clips. I've seen the clips. They're pretty sexy. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, at that time, that was the most forbidden fruit that anybody had ever seen. I mean, and if I was to back up from that, you remember the time that, that again, you and I didn't live through, but we've heard about it, when Lucille Ball uh, played a, a wife with her with her real-life husband, Desi Arnaz, and they put them in separate beds. When they did a bedroom scene, they were fully clothed, and they put them in separate beds. They had never put a couple in bed together on television, not touching, not doing anything. Uh, so I'm just sharing that that line moves. That's yeah. my, my only point for you. And, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting thing. Sean Strickland tried to defend himself yesterday. He said, hey, listen, I haven't even cursed yet. He said, you know, don't tell me I'm crossing lines if I'm not up here saying bad words. And I think he makes a good point because I had the same debate with Errol Hawani because Errol thinks there should be a line and there should even be a code of conduct. 
And it's like, man, that, that is just a slippery, slippery slope. I, I had a guy many years ago uh, named Keith Geyser. He was the most powerful man uh, in licensing in America. He was the executive director of Nevada, the fight capital of the world, the home of the U.S. And he did not want to license. And I had done nothing, but he just thought I was so inappropriate for kids and, and so unsportsmanlike. And, and he even sought and went out of his way to go to other jurisdictions to get me not licensed for that very thing. And I, I had never. I've never cursed to this day publicly. And, I mean, it was just one of those things where you're, you're calling me a trash talker, but, you know, I'm calling, it, I'm calling myself an entertainer. And yeah. where is that line, and who is to say? I, I think that that's an equally fascinating topic. You know what? The, so the line is, I'm with you, it's difficult. I do feel as though it's moved. But, okay, this is going to maybe sound bad, like I'm insensitive to people's plights or their emotions or whatever, but... I don't really care so much about the way that fighters try to sell fights because they've made this decision and it's, it's their finances and it's between them and whatever. It gets overly personal sometimes. Again, it makes my palms sweaty. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable with it. But my, one of my bigger gripes is actually that it's gotten to this point where it's, it's easy and the trash talk is not overly entertaining to me. And I, I don't like it when people have the subject of an interview on and they overly over compliment them. But I do think that, the, the the great thing about you and even Connor earlier before uh, it ended up with the Habib stuff it is goes a little too far and even the Poirier stuff was it, it was funny you know there were lines I love sharing Chael Sonnen YouTube videos with my friends and saying man this is so great like he nailed this guy like right between the eyes and I, I miss that I miss like a funny clever kind of banter I know that's not every fighter but I, I don't think that we even get that from guys anymore because it's so nasty and just immediately this is the best yeah. way to go about it. Yeah. And, and J.D., thank you for the compliments that you paid to me. But I, I will tell you one thing, which is, you know, I was trolling. I was out there having fun. And yeah, it was, it was hilarious. The spirit of, of a much more G-rated approach. Yeah. One thing that is very true in life is it's the truth that hurts. And so, you know, if Colby's talking about a kid's father being dead and the kid's father really is dead, that hurts. If, if uh, you know, Duplessis is talking about Strickland. Uh, with abuses that he, he had to uh, observe as a minor, and that really happened, and it did, then that hurts. And I, I do wish that those guys would – I would encourage those guys they, they could be just as nasty or just as funny, and sometimes that's a fine line. Even Babe Ruth struck out every now and then. But if you're doing it in a playful manner, just keep that in mind. The truth hurts. Let, let's keep the truth out of it to a degree. Let's have a little bit of fun uh, to a degree would be my encouragement, right? I mean, there, there's a, there's a line there. We'll become a little Mr. Magoo and we're in a cage fight, but I, I don't I don't know that we need to really do a full history and makeup of of a guy's background. Uh, I think we can all conceive guys that find themselves in a cage fighting a grown man. Something within their life didn't go well, and we do not need to find out what that was and then expose it. We can just know that that's the truth and move on. Who do you think is the funniest guy in the UFC right now? <laughs> so funny. Right now, you. Yeah, you, this is my favorite uh, favorite interview I've done, and I, I really hope that you have me back. By the way, cause you're, you're making a friend here. Um, my the funniest guy in the history, I think, is Rampage Jackson. I got so much. Yeah, he is funny though. Yeah, when I would get asked these questions, it'd always be between me and Connor. Hey, Chill, who's better, you or Connor? Uh-huh. And it's like, hey, you're you're forgetting one. You know, the first guy ever, when I would be in the living room watching fights, that my friends and myself was like, quiet, 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 so we could hear him speak. That had never happened before. Where we wanted everyone to be quiet so we could hear an interview. The first guy ever was uh, Rampage Jackson. Yeah. And, you know, I realize that he's not there right now, but, um, you know, I, I think some of these guys are, are pretty clever. I think that what Sean O'Malley does is fantastic, and I like what, uh, what Izzy does, just because there's a strategy. You know, that's yeah. pre-planned. 
Yeah. I would have uh, lines pre-planned. I would have guesses on what I would be asked. And yeah. uh, a couple of people that would see me working out, working those notes at, just like, you know, a detective going through a crime scene would, would say, hey, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're, you're pre-planning. He's like, guys, I've never had a test in my life yeah. where I didn't plan for it. <laughs> so when I, you know, when I see a guy with a strategy like Sean O'Malley or like Israel Adesanya, I can relate and I appreciate it. I don't judge him down for it. I grade him up. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because one of, you, you know, your legacy-wise with me and some of my UFC friends, especially my one buddy, because uh, we, we used to watch, obviously, all the Ultimate Fighters. Like, we were even in on those. And I'm not surprised by the joke preparation because the way that you would train your fighters when you were coaching that season. I know that everybody remembers, you know, I can't get, you can't get close or I can't let you get close. Yep. What we remember from that one that we still talk about to this day, truly, in talks with other people and even young people is, you gave the failure as an option speech. Remember that? Hey, yep. people tell you failure is an option. Failure is absolutely an option. And, and going through that Always in terms of the preparation. And that stuck with us. Like as two guys in this business, we think about that all the time. So, yeah, I think that if planning out your, uh, yeah, the way that things can go well, things that think ways can go poorly, should absolutely be doing those things. Um, okay, so you only, I looked at, I was looking through your resume, and you only fought once in the UFC in January. It was the Bisbing fight, the middleweight title uh, eliminator fight. How much harder is it yep. on these guys to be coming in for a January card? Because I hadn't really thought about it until recently, of like, oh, why is this the card everybody hates? It's like, duh, because you have to be in a camp during the holidays. Sure, sure. And, hey, can I tell you one? And that was for UFC. I had one, believe this or not, it was on January 28th. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness, January 28th. And I didn't get the call until the 26th. I was absolute last last minute. So I jump on a plane. I fly out there. It's BJ Penn's promotion. It's called uh, Rumble on the Rock. It was out in Hawaii. Just awesome. But my opponent was Homer Moore. And I was moving up a weight class, which is why I had no problem with it. When we got to the weigh-ins, he was eight pounds over. And mm-hmm. eight pounds over is a very yeah. meaningful amount. But yes. They also did a, a a media day and a press conference, and like there was food for the media and all the fighters. We'd sit there hungry that we were going to weigh in, and we could go through the buffet line. He went through the buffet line before the weigh-in. He had this big chicken alfredo. I'll never forget this plate of chicken alfredo he's washing down. And he gets up there, he's eight pounds over, and he looks over. They were the main event. There's no way to pull out of a fight when you're already there as the main event. They've flown you to Hawaii. Like the show must go on. And he looks up at me, and he very calmly says, I just didn't want to cut weight over the holidays. And it's like, yeah, I obviously you didn't want to cut weight over the holiday. You didn't want to cut weight five minutes ago during yeah. this press conference when I saw you eating that chicken Alfredo. But, um, no, man, I, I think that stuff could be tough. I think some of those guys that go to camp and, and lock themselves down, sure, the time of year is very relevant. Look, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about uh, Ramadan, respectfully. I just don't, mm-hmm. don't know a lot about it. But, and we got Islam. Islam saying he won't fight during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're about to have some other Muslim sense. champions. Um, yeah, we got some guys top of the bill. I mean, number one contender is uh, is Shemayev, just by example. So when you have an organization where your champions must fight, all your top guys must fight, and you go 365 days a year, I mean, we're going to start to run into some, some cultural divides, which could come back to what you and I have been uh, foreshadowing this entire conversation, which is a level of sensitivity and sensitive towards who and who decides, right? It's mm. a tough line. I really like that Dana White stays out of it. I mean, I truly do. Mm-hmm. By the way, you beat Homer Moore. It was unanimous. And uh, luckily right. for him, it was only two rounds. It was only a two-round fight. Yes. Yeah. From- Homer Moore. 
Homer Moore and I just reconnected. So Homer Moore yeah. got his name associated with some bad stuff. And there, there was an Armenian mobster that was found dead in Homer Moore's trunk. Yes, this has taken oh. a very interesting turn, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. So, well, my producer is Armenian, and he fist pumped immediately just because he heard Armenian. And then the context, he's just a little less excited. Oh, and then I drove a yeah. mobster? Well, yeah. I apologize. Hey, I'll yeah, tell yeah. you what. So, I mean, they got their guy, right? The guy's dead. There was no weapon involved. Homer Moore's a trained fighter. It was Homer Moore's car. Oh, locked dude. him up. And they did. They locked him up for four years when some level of DNA evidence, and don't ask me what, cleared him. Wow. Homer was innocent. Homer. So I, Yes, he was innocent. So I had to go find him because I had done <laughs> a show like this where I was outing him. And then this guy, he's got this dead Armenian mobster in his trunk. He was innocent. I had to go find him in Arizona and issue him apology. He actually had quite good spirits about it. He was happy about it. He even remembered the chicken Alfredo that he ate when he missed weight against me by eight pounds. So let's hear it for Homer Moore, huh? Can, we, can we get a shout out for yeah. Homer Moore? You wake up with an <laughs> you wake up with a dead Armenian mobster in your trunk. That's a bad day. <laughs> That's a bad yeah, day. Which, by the way, no bullet holes, no stab holes. Like it's going to take a special guy with a special talent. Oh look, yeah. the, the car is owned by a cage fighter. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we got our guy. I don't know what DNA they had me, but they cleared him and they even gave him an apology. Oh God, yeah. That's that's getting the apology is nice, but the the moment that dawns on you that that's the reality of what's happening. It's, that's a bad day. That's a really really bad day. Yeah. From from that's all exactly angles. Right. That's from all angles. Uh, okay, so a little bit from not this card because again your last podcast you had a a, a whale of a theory. Okay, and I don't think anybody else has this because I haven't even heard a single person say this other than you, but. You know, Dana White's promising what you say, a jaw dropper, right? A jaw dropper of a fight for 300. And with all due respect to this fight that could happen, right? A Strickland-Izzy rematch. I think the bloom is a little off the rose with Adesanya, given the recent losses, especially this latest one. I just don't know what the appetite for people is as he's like the top-end guy on a card. Um, same thing goes for Leon. Great champion, awesome champion, but... I don't have friends that text me and go, man, what are you doing for the Leon fight, right? I don't think you do either. Is that fair to say? You've never gotten that text? Absolutely. Um, 100%. Who do you think it could be? And that's what's so hard. It's like, man, I I just... uh, Dana White has never bluffed. That's the thing. Mm. And so when he comes out and says, I got one that fell in my lap, you're never going to guess it. Your jaw's going to drop. It's like, okay, well... Then you got to be talking about bringing somebody back. I mean, you have to be. The only way my jaw is going to drop is if St. Pierre is coming back or if Khabib is coming back. All of a sudden, and something is going on with Leon. I mean, we, we have Blahal Mohammed not only as a backup fighter, but as, as the guaranteed number one contender. We had him there. We had him on location. I'm talking about the night that Colby, okay, December 16th, the night that Colby and Leon fought. David goes to the post-fight press conference, and he will not commit Blahal Muhammad. So then people start to realize, well, you got this Rachmanov, and Rachmanov is now 17-0 and 0 with 17 finishes. This has never happened. I guess Rachmanov's going to steal the thunder. We then get informed by Rachmanov himself that he's injured, mm. that he's got the same injury that Jamal Hill's got to his Achilles. He's going to be out for an indefinite amount of time. So we go, okay, well, I guess that Blahal Muhammad's back. So another interview with Dana, same question to ask. No. Dana does not commit Blahal. So when we find out that it's not because of Rachmanov and it's not Blahal, there's only one other guy that's asking for the opportunity, which is Islam. Now, 
Would Islam go up? And, and I'm getting to your point. No, nobody's really sitting around going, I can't wait till Leon's fight. Nobody's sitting around going, I can't wait till Islam's fight. Like, could you imagine a press conference with Islam and, and Leon? I mean, they would cancel it. it I was going to say, what's the happen. point? So, don't even do it. Like, what's the point? Yeah, so I don't feel that that fits that bill. And then all of a sudden, Khabib's coach comes out, Javier Mendez. He says, Khabib's training with me, and he's never trained with me unless he has a fight coming up. That's all I know. That's the quote. Like, okay, well, that's that, that's very leading to make you believe that Khabib must have a fight coming up. But Javier Mendez came and spoke on that. He said, look, I said those words, but it was a different context. Khabib is not fighting. That's not what I was hinting at. I was just saying that I don't really know how to train him just to get in shape and just for fun because we never do this unless he's got a fight coming up. So the context was very different. And the point is, I don't know where we're going for 300. I have a hard time believing that Drinkus Duplissy in any situation is going to headline the biggest card of all time. I have a hard time believing my own friend Sean Strickland is going to be top of the bill for the biggest card that Dana White has ever produced. And I just don't know how both things can be true. I don't know how we're going to have a jaw-dropping, amazing fight at 300 and one that none of us uh, expected. I just I, We're running out of players. It's as simple as that. So you're right. To the, I, would, I don't know if I'm going to go with the extreme of he never bluffs, but I'll say that he rarely bluffs. Um, sure. So I'm I'm with you to that. I just wonder if there's two things that I, well, there's one thing about the 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 big names of the jaw droppers is that now with the the deal that they have in place, I wonder if there's as much pressure as there used to be, right? When it was UFC 100 or 200 to make sure that those were bangers that you're gonna get everybody to. It's like now I feel like they they're gonna load this card up. They're gonna have a lot more names on it. But I do feel like organizationally, there's way less pressure to have that quote unquote name at the top of the billing for 300 than it used to be. And again, the, the golden years or the older years of the UFC 100s and 200s. Sure. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, and, and then you have the conspiracy theorists, you know, and they're, they're a lot of fun too. They're oh, nothing yeah. more than that, but they are fun to hear about. Well, you know, the working relationship with Dana and Vince McMahon, and that opens the door to Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey. It's like, no, yeah, it, it no, actually doesn't. Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar's still suspended in Nevada. Well, how old he is Brock Lesnar now too? Well, he's 46. He's also not a fighter. He's not coming yeah. back for the, the world's biggest card. I'm just yeah. letting you know, yeah. I, uh, just, just to put a nail in this coffin, Brock Lesnar is suspended for steroids in Nevada. The way he handled that is he walked away. He never yeah. served his suspension. Forgot about He never that. paid his fine. He never, yeah, he never, yeah, well, everybody's forgotten about that. But it was worth it. It was <laughs> worth it. It was so worth it. Yeah. No, it was totally worth it. And I, yeah. I just share with you, like, People do forget that he's actually suspended. His way of handling that was just like when somebody gets a warrant, just don't go back to that state. He just mm-hmm. didn't go back to the state and ask for a license. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to clear that up. Like, yep. there's no Brock Lesnar, which does leave us. I mean, if we're just eliminated players left and right, I think you and I have done a very good job of, of, of setting expectations for the audience that there's probably not going to be the jaw dropper. There'll mm-hmm. probably be a really good fight. But jaw dropper, I don't think so. Well, and this is the last one, because you've been very generous with your time. But... If you're doing, like, to make the WWE comparison there of the jaw dropper has to be a guy from the past and someone they're bringing back, and, and this has been, you know, a, a very borrowed move, but that's, that's the WWE move to me, right? Is, and I don't really follow wrestling. I don't know enough about it. But you know what always gets on my radar as a casual and, or as a non-knower of the sport is when they're like, Stone Cold Steve Austin is coming back. And I'm like, all right, but isn't he even 100? Like, that just feels where the UFC is at in, in a way with this 300 card is, yes, is Connor there? But, yeah, Connor is sort of now still a relic of the past. And mm, I, I, I don't know what the future of Connor McGregor is. Habib Nurmagomedov, like, say he was to come back. That's still a guy that you don't have a long future with. Is yep. there uh, – this, this does feel like a bit more of a – I hate saying it, but a casual conversation. But 
I, do they even have enough jaw droppers now to spread this thing around? Like when, when we're looking forward here, do they have enough guys that you can really sell to an audience of, of fans that aren't the ones that are always buying these cards that don't care about, um, you know, the, the lesser known names to the public? How, how yeah. come they haven't been able to develop them the same way? Well, and J.D., don't forget, uh, you know, PR is very important to this organization. And, and if you start going too crazy with fights, like they're talking about putting Piera versus Aspinall. Like, that's really fun, and I'm in for that. But you, you are letting the audience now know that you got desperate. And, you know, d- doing Max Holloway versus Justin Gaethje, like, that's a good solid fight. But you have now let the audience know that you got desperate. I, I mean, you went for two guys to defend a title that's never once been defied, uh, defended, two guys that have no heat with each other, no pass with each other, no future with each other that aren't even in the same weight class. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you were already letting the audience know, uh, you know, we're scrambling. And, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think you want to scramble for all three. And there's, you know, there's a belief, and I share the belief, that there's going to be three title fights. We have one of them announced which is the BMF title, which I think is just wonderful. But I will share with you, if, if all of them are cross weight classes and cross promotions or, or people from, from the past, I mean, you're telling the audience we ran, we ran out of things to do. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, just not something, that's just not something that this promoter, the world's greatest promoter, he, he's not going to do that. Mm. All right. Hey, Chael, this was as good as I expected it to be. So thanks for the time, brother. I appreciate you. By the way, hold on, hold on. Now there's a there's a new joke going around. You know what six feet tall, handsome, charming, and disappears in an instant, don't you? Yeah. See you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hunnan, MMA legend, host of your Welcome Podcast. That was great. Yeah, it was a good way to make an exit. I wish I could steal that move, except for I don't get invited to enough radio and podcast interviews. Uh, yeah, fun stuff with Chael. Fun, fun stuff with Chael. Uh, okay. So before we take the break, got to pay some bills ahead of the 2024 Rogers all-star game this year. We will be giving away family four packs of tickets to the NHL fanfare coming to Toronto on February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word in episodes of the JD Bugus podcast. This show till January 26th, then text the code word to 590 590 for your chance to win. Should be this NHL fanfare actually really does look tremendous. Um, Today's code word is Roger's hardest shot. Seems like a lot of code words, but that's, that is the code word. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. Well, not tomorrow, but it'll be Monday. Our classic Armin move, just not switching it to just only switching the code word. It's fine. I'll, I'll handle it. Armin. I'll take the bullet. I'll take the bullet. Our next code word will be Monday. Uh, but if you don't want to wait and you just want to grab tickets to this event, just head on down to NHL.com fanfare while supplies last. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I watched a lot of Masai Ujiri's media conference yesterday. It was tough. Tough to, tough to watch the entire thing. It was. It ran a very, very long time. I think that if you want great immediate breakdowns from it, you should go and listen to the Raptor show. They had an awesome they've, – they've just had a great couple of days, Will and Blake, on basically everything that's transpired over the last 48 hours. But – I feel like there was something that was really missed during Masai Ujiri's media conference yesterday and that he showed his hand a bit as to why the Raptors are now in the position that they're in. Anyways, more of the J.D. Bunkers podcast next. 
breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, yeah, I'm probably not giving the Leafs enough time today, considering Austin Matthews just had his fourth hat trick of the season. And it's, by the way, it's January 19th. We're just barely over the halfway mark of the season. Uh, didn't hit on that on yesterday's Leafs talk. But again, that, that is to, all that is to say is if you are looking for a little bit more Leafs today, you don't care about UFC or football, which is the primary, the primary focus of today's show. I head on over to Leafs talk, subscribe, review, do all those things. I had Bourne on yesterday and great chat after last night's game. And then even some of the big picture stuff we ended up getting into. So yeah, head on over to Leafs talk. If you don't already listen, uh, got plenty of stuff there. So Masai Ujiri has his media conference yesterday after trading Pascal Siakam fun. Actually quickly fun Raptors game last night. Just there's clearly just a, a, the fun is back with the Raptors. They're losing all these games. And I find who could, I know it's a honeymoon period. I know it's a honeymoon period. Okay. This will fade. If they just keep losing basketball games from now until the end of the season, and they don't look very good. I would imagine that it's going to start to get a bit more of a critical tone when they blow these ones or, but they just whooped ass against the Miami heat drained. Everything had their best quarter of the season, their first quarter. And then the bulls last night, I always think that DeRozan really gets up for that game and that his teammates love him to death. And so they get up for it a bit more too. There's clearly that's not a regular season game for the Chicago bulls. When they, when they face the Raptors, they care. They, they put the care factor up a little bit, but just, exhilarating basketball. The Leafs game is starting and I have to watch it. I have to make it my primary focus. And my eye is just wandering over the Raptors in the fourth quarter, just wandering over the Raptors in the fourth quarter. I'm trying to focus on the Leafs. I'm trying to make sure that, Hey, this is but, Oh, it's hard. It's hard with that team. They're just way too fun. So, Watching the game, having a blast. They they finish it. I go, okay. You know, maybe I'm talking myself into a little bit more. Bruce Brown, after just seeing him right away, 10K for the number, by the way, he revealed after the show or after the game. After the game, he revealed after his show. And it is a show to him. It is the show. Gave 10K to Jonte Porter for his number. I went, man, that's 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 what a smart guy would have done. That would have been a brilliant move by a G League player trying to read the tea leaves of what it could have been for a trade, the most likely numbers that stars would want or that incoming players would want or the rumored guys and say, yeah, that's, that's the number I've always played with. Give me the, give me the quick 10 K. I don't, I don't understand athlete culture with that, by the way, just, I could never accept that from someone for a number unless it was, I was an established, I, I don't know. I, I get it. He's a G league guy. He's probably not making too much. Bruce Brown makes a ton of money, but God, it just feels so weird whenever guys pay that much for numbers to me. I've never been able to just accept it as a normal thing. Anyways, before the game, Masai speaks to the media about the trades. He, he talks in great detail about everything that's transpired and why now and why not before and all these different things. And he's pretty vulnerable, which I think throws people off. First of all, I, I commend Masai Ujiri for how open he is to the media, how comfortable he is speaking to the fan base, how honest he is at times, or at least how genuine it does come off. It's 
because uh, I, I think it is. So good for him because I, I actually think that's awesome. That's awesome when you can just – what do they say? They say speak to kids like they're adults, right, parents, something like that. That's the way to go, speak to your kids like you're adults. I feel like we don't get enough of that in sports at times where the fan is treated like the fan or the media is treated like the media, and it's always this – yeah, we've talked about it a little bit with the Leaf stuff, and it, it happens at times where – it's like we don't trust you with this information. We don't feel as though we can speak to you directly. We have to speak to you in euphemisms, right? Like the dog went to the farm. Okay. That's how a lot of teams deal with it. The Raptors go about it in a very more authentic and genuine way. And there is, there, there is a, the Raptors and the fan base have, and the media have a different connection to that franchise than any other. It is a very, very special relationship with this front office, this team, this city, that fan base, especially the diehards. So again, it felt familiar. It felt comfortable. I also was, as always, enjoying hearing Masai Ujiri talk. But the thing that I thought was a little overlooked in that media conference was when he was speaking about Pascal and when he was speaking about OG and even going down memory road with how long it took him to get with DeRozan is just how... if you were suspicious of why the Raptors kept doubling down on a team, like there's one point where Masai says he felt like half a season wasn't enough to judge that team. And I went, what? First of all, the deadline was more than half of the season. Second of all, how could you not see what the rest of us were seeing, which was a clear fracturing of the core players on this team and a divide with the coach. And maybe that was some of it is that they thought that Nick nurse was so directly responsible with some of the stuff that if he was just given one more guy in Yaka Pertle, that this would end up being the way, but it just, to me felt as though Masai Ujiri got really emotionally invested in Siakam and OG in a way that he hadn't with other players in the past. Right? What what was my what was Ujiri's calling card? Yes, was he did he admit to being emotional with DeMar DeRozan, saying it took him some while to build up the courage to go in there and tell him that he was going to be traded? Sure. But it was different with these guys. He'd he'd won a championship with these guys. He had drafted and developed these guys. He mentioned Siakam's connection to his Giants of Africa program and or basketball without borders, sorry, not Giants of Africa, it was basketball without borders. And how he sees Siakam's successes as his own successes. And it's hard not to wonder if the Raptors could have, if their general manager or president, sorry, whatever, Masai Ujiri's title, his real title, president, if there would have been a little bit more of an emotional disconnection between these two things, then the Raptors probably end up with, yeah, a clear direction earlier and very likely more back in a trade for a guy who's made two all NBAs. So I, I honestly, I don't know how to completely process it because I feel like that version of Masai Ujiri that connects with the players in that regard is at the heart. What does make the Raptors so different and so special, right? Like I, I thought about this even in the middle of the side, just really struggling with a lot of his moves, right? It had been years where it was purely Scotty Barnes nailed that pick. And then everything else around it was really tough to justify. 
the trading of the first round picks, the doubling down on a bad core, some of the missed picks when there were good players actually around the picks that they had, right? And by the way, I, I really, I think everybody's really pulling for Christian Coloco. I, I hope that he, I hope that he ends up on the other side of this and that he plays basketball again someday professionally because to be robbed at that young age that way is just awful. But even in the middle of Masai Ujiri's struggles as a, as a president, as a leader of basketball operations, who would ever think you want him gone because of that, because of that ability as a speaker, as a connector, as just an inspirational figure. Like I, I've said this before, but I, I feel as though Masai Ujiri should run for office. He is a real part of the tapestry of the city. When there was a threat that he was going to end up leaving, and that he was going to take either a job in soccer, a job somewhere else, in a, in somewhere outside of basketball. Uh, was, I felt sick about it. But I think that is the drawback, I guess. If you're looking at pros and cons of everything, having someone who clearly is that much more invested in the people that he has underneath him, the upshot is very obvious. The upshot is very clear. But the downside is that there, there are going to be times where maybe emotions get into play a little bit too much in a business where we talked about it. It's, it's cutthroat. You have to be able to move off of players. I said this with Bomani Jones was what is the new inefficiency? The new inefficiency is sentimentality. Look at what is happening with the Warriors right now. They're going to be dinged. They're going to be hurt by the fact that they just can't simply trade Clay Thompson. It's not that easy for them. They, they can't just go about business like a, a normal franchise. And I think with Masai Ujiri, it was, a, it was a very similar thing. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and talk to Jeff Saturday. But before we do that, the dynamic comedic duo, Bad Friends with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee, head to OLG stage at Falls View Casino on April 6th. And we're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you got to do is tune into episodes of the JD Bunkers podcast this week and listen for the code word and text it to 59590. Today's code word is Bad Friends. Text bad friends to 59590 right now for your chance to win. And if you don't get tickets, I promise you, you'll love the show. You go down to ticketmaster.ca and you grab a pair for yourself. All right, quick break, Jeff Saturday and NFL weekend. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guy Drew filling in for Armin today. Great beats. Just good, just good quality stuff from you today, Drew. Really nice. Very, very nice stuff. All right. Huge. It's it's NFL divisional weekend. Some people say championship weekend is their favorite. I think those are the best games. Divisional weekend is my favorite, though, because we still have four. And it it hurts me. I will say it it hurts me knowing there are so few football games left. This is because wildcard wildcard weekend, especially now super wildcard weekend where we get three nights. The, the, the craziest thing is I, I want, I definitely want one day on super wildcard weekend where there's three games. And that was the initial way that it was supposed to be, but it was nuts to me that there were people complaining that there was a Monday night football game that they spread it out a little bit. I went, that is perfect. Let us focus on one football game on a Monday night. We are capable of doing that. Just, in the future, maybe don't make it the one that all of us know is going to be bad, <laughs> like the Eagles. And shout out to Baker, though. Shout out to Baker. He was awesome. And the, I love I love this. 
I love the up and down ways that we've talked about Baker Mayfield this year. It's either he was dead and buried, he was completely done, or now, ooh, is Baker Mayfield going to be able to carry this team to a Super Bowl? It's not, it's not, it's still a team that's got a lot of pieces from when Tampa Bay won with Tom Brady, and he's playing better than Tom Brady was the final year with the Tampa Bay Bucks. So I love it. I love the Baker dialogue. I'm, I'm here for it nonstop. Although I do feel a little bad for Browns fans knowing that somehow, some way, they ended up with the worst quarterback situation ever, despite going all in on the quarterback. And I was thinking about them again yesterday because I was looking at their salary cap situation and it's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. It is not good. Anyway, um let's I got I got a lot more thoughts after I speak to Jeff about who this weekend is biggest for. I feel like, man, there's two quarterbacks in particular. So obviously the one matchup that we care the most about everybody, it's not just here. It's not just regionally. And with all due respect to the lions, my lions, it's it, this comes down to one game this weekend. It's, it's the bills. It's the chiefs. It's the bad blood between these two teams. It's just the, the desperation that Buffalo has to win this game, but it is, it is, it's not a legacy weekend for Patrick Mahomes, but it's a massive, massive legacy weekend for two other guys. Anyways, time for Jeff Saturday. Very, very pleased to be joined by one of the favorites, one of my favorites that we've ever had on this program. 14 years in the NFL, of course, Super Bowl champion, Colts Ring of Honor, ESPN analyst. It's Jeff Saturday. How are we, brother? Fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Um, so let's just start with this wide one. Who impressed you the most wildcard weekend? And is there someone who you feel materially different about heading into divisional weekend? Oh, probably the most impressed, I would say, um, man, it's going to be the Texans or the Packers. But I'm probably going to lean towards uh, Stroud and the Texans, man. I, I just think, you know, you have the number one defense um, in Cleveland coming to your place. You're a rookie. Um, you, you know, you had, you, you had to win to get in the final week of the season against the Colts. You went on the last play of the game type deal. And uh, man, you come out and just put together a performance of a lifetime. And I just think, you know, they really, you know, their run game wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't much to speak of. Not that, it was, not that it was bad, but they just didn't try to run it that often. And they put it on Stroud, man. And whether, and I was concerned that, that uh, Cleveland was going to run a bunch of man coverage against him, and they tried. And he, he, threw, he threw him out of man and then beat him in zone. And uh, the guy was dang near perfect, and and uh, just just a special performance for a young kid who uh, I just thought played just played magnificent football. And you know, tip of the cap, man, for a, for a mag, you know, for for a huge huge win. You know, it's crazy. I think back to Week One and how Colts, or sorry, the Ravens end up playing the Texans, and what we thought going into this year, right? Who we thought this quarterback might be, the weapons that were going to be around them. And I remember they, they gave Baltimore a little bit of a, a push in that week one. And Baltimore took care of business yeah. and, you know, ended with a, a pretty big uh, winning margin. But how different we feel now about the Texans. And, and I agree with you. Like, that, that was the game changer for me because the, his poise, his ability down the field, his accuracy, the smarts, just the entire package of C.J. Stroud, the the feeling of belief it seems that his team has around him, I like I can't believe I feel it's nine and a half I think is the spread whatever I'm sure they're not overly concerned about that if anything they're using it as motivation but I genuinely can't believe how good he is that he has me thinking that he could go on the road to the bank a difficult place against the number one defense and actually find a way to keep them in that football game. 
Yeah, no, and I agree. I mean, I'm not calling for some major upset this weekend. Probably sure. not. But like you said, man, it's, it, the growth that they've already shown. And how about D'Amico Ryan's in the defense? I mean, like, yeah. like, like you said, from week one until now, you, you know, the the complete shift from this from the defense and you know the the, the amount of problems they gave. I mean, I think I, I can't remember how many weeks they were between um, when Flacco shredded them with Cooper and and the whole deal and and and. Just the, the difference, uh, the, you know, just the growth of the defense. They just, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm with you. I just think, you know, D'Amico Ryan's probably coach of the year and uh, de- deservedly so. Just the way he has put this organization together. And, uh, man, it, it was, I, I just thought it was a blast to watch it. And, and look, I got friends on both sides. So, I, you know, I like Cleveland and, and, and what they had done and what they had overcome. I thought both were fantastic stories. But, man, wow, what, what, a, what, a, what a great way for a, for a young rookie to put himself on the map. Hey Jeff, you strike me as the kind of guy that's got a lot of friends on a lot of teams, buddy. <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like it's 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 probably tough for you to pick your allegiances. I'm guessing that yeah, you might when you're doing stuff on ESPN and you're making your list, you gotta uh, yeah, you you gotta keep the politics out of it. Otherwise, yeah, you're just gonna worry about upsetting somebody on every team. And okay, maybe this I don't know if this keeps us on the Texans because maybe we do have to move on, but. And I know this isn't an all-encompassing stat, right? I'm sure there's there's all kinds of different factors. The quarterback getting the ball out, you know, this isn't just a pressure stat. But three offensive lines this weekend allowed zero sacks. One of them was the Packers. Yeah. One of them was the Texans. One of them was the Chiefs. And we talk a lot about the Lions' offensive line, and I'm not trying to get take anything away from them. But is there, out of those three groups in particular that had such great weekends, do you think there's one of them that we don't talk about enough? Well, probably the probably the Packers' offensive line doesn't get talked about enough, especially this past weekend, right? You're going into um, a hostile environment, and you know you're playing a team that you know if you get behind, that they pin their ears back, and they're going to be dang near unblockable, right? Because you're going to get a bunch of matchups that are are in their favor, and and like I said, pin their ears back and just go attack the quarterback. I thought that that uh, Lafleur did a fantastic job of balancing. Right? They ran it down their throat. I mean, they saw him in six DBs and were like, "Okay, you, you know, no, no respect. Let me show you what's up." And then Aaron Jones is just gashing them. Then they opened up the play action, and, and to your point, they really stoned um, that that defensive front and they kept them off balance. And then that's really the key. Anytime you're going against a team um, that can put the type of pressure on the Cowboys can from a from a from a get after the passer. Um, I, I just thought they played to their strengths. LaFleur did a good job of the way that he calls the, or, you know, their offense calls the game. Uh, and, and again, they, they probably don't get nearly the, and, and probably the Packers in general haven't gotten nearly the conversation just because they've really pressed it towards the last part of this or the latter part of the season. Love has just been on an incredible hot streak. Um, and usually when that happens, we talk about quarterbacks and not, and, and not, mm-hmm. and not the real football players. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, uh, no, they, they deserve a ton of credit. But all, all those groups, man, Kansas City played, like you said, they, they played lights out as well. And, and they're, they're, you know, when you're, when you're talking about playoff football and what you have to stop, man, you have to stop negative plays. And sacks are drive killers, and, and they're, they're bigger than even penalties. Uh, in changing drives and changing scoring opportunities. And so when you hear teams limit uh, other, other groups from creating those negative plays, uh, it goes to wins. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, that's uh, like the Chiefs, I, I, again, I'm sure great offensive line. I know that they've, they've really put a point of emphasis on that, but the Dolphins were down all their pass rushers. I think that you got to give a little extra credit to the, 
Texans knowing they shut down Miles Garrett and yeah, to the Packers knowing that it's Micah Parsons and a team that's built around the pass rush and they were able to slow them down. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that about how nobody talks about you guys. I feel like this is the only ways we talk about offensive linemen. You guys make a mistake, right? (laughs) Holding, you're the worst. You're the biggest idiot who ever lived. False start. Oh my God. How can you, how could you move? You idiot. Like just stay flat. Just don't move. (laughs) You got to shut somebody down. And usually it's only a left tackle that really gets that right. It's, Hey, here's a highlight reel of a left tackle pushing around a premier edge rusher. And then we go, okay, but it's gotta be a highlight pack, right? We're not watching it snap to snap. Or it's like, you know, you're a Hall of Famer. You're one of the best centers who ever played the game. And your most famous clip is Peyton Manning chewing you out on the sideline, telling you not to call that's plays. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. It, 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 that's, that's, that's the way our lives boil down, right? It, yeah. it, it's always those things. And let's uh, let's say this, too, man. Let's give the Texans. Yeah. How about Tunsil, man? I mean, this dude, oh, yeah. he, he, play, he, dude, he played an incredible football game, bro. And, I mean, mm. flat out got after it. Matched up with Garrett as well as anybody and just – but their O line in general did a did a fan to your point. Like you knew Schwartz was going to, you know, he'll he'll try to put pressure, you know, try to get edges and collapse the pocket and do all the things that he's done, you know, so successfully. And and those guys met the challenge. But they, uh, you, you know, my my favorite part is when people always blast offensive linemen for for leaving early. You know what I mean? And I'm like, mm-hmm. how about this? How about you line up in your How about you line up in your living room and and put your wife or your kids out about five and a half yards, or about fifteen feet from you, okay? And then put them at an angle that they can go right behind you and let them full-on sprint while you're going backwards. And then try to stop them and hold them up. Now make that Miles Garrett. And then, and then go sleep well tonight. You know what I mean? Give me a break, dude. It's, of course we're trying to cheat, bro. We're playing the best athletes yeah. in the world going backwards. <laughs> yeah. No, I felt that's what I felt for Jason Kelsey during the tush push where it was the, the ball, the slight ball rotation. And he's like, the league is really yeah. watching me on this. I was like – you got to give me just a, a touch of a break here on some of these guys. Like this is, this is what you got to handle. And he's taking it all yeah, on have you himself. Seen, uh, yeah. Have you, have you yeah. seen Vita Vea? I mean, are you serious right yeah. now? But the dude's like yeah. a piece of farm equipment. You're going to try yeah. to go move that guy with, with <laughs> only three points of contact, right? It's like, come on, yeah. man. He's, he's a dirt mover. Yeah. You're like, what am I going? He's low. I mean, you're all the things. So no, I, I, we, we appreciate the respect anytime we can get it. Yeah, uh, I think you deserve probably a little bit more of it. Okay, so to now, because we, hey, we spend enough time talking about O-linemen, okay? That's enough. That's yeah. enough for yeah. Back to quarterbacks. Yeah. Back to quarterbacks, okay? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you're also a Packers legend, though, too. You made, a, you made a Pro Bowl with the Packers. You know, you had success yeah. there. And how do they, how do, they do it, man? Uh, honest to God, because oh. you said one of the most impressive performances was Jordan Love, and they've got great pass catchers, and they scheme it up, and you said it, their offensive line pr- played a great game, but... That guy clearly has the it factor. And if you would, you know, have you ever seen the the, the silhouette stuff they do for sports where they just take out and go, okay, right. who is this quarterback? And I went, man, there was some genuinely, when he's on his back foot and he's making some of those off-angle plays, I went, is, is that Aaron Rodgers? And you go, no, it's Jordan That's Love. Right. And as, as a That's non-fan right. of the Packers, I go, you can't be serious that this is happening again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not of a, uh, it's not, I guess it's not necessarily a surprise, right? Is when you yeah. see an organization that's patient the way they are, um, and try to bring along. And when LaFleur was like, hey, he's ready, um, you know, he knew what he's talking about, man. I mean, he, he, he's watching him every day. And, and, you know, as he's running the scout team down there, no different than when Favre was there and, and they're watching Aaron. And they're saying, okay, when, does he, when is he ready? You know, when is he going to be the guy? And when he's going to take command? And I think the, the coolest part for me was watching the evolution, even during this season, from, 
everybody trying to question the first seven games and LaFleur just being, hey, just, just stay the course, right? Like this thing is going to come around, but we got to figure this out, right? Like you're new, whether you've been practicing, you're new to, you know, Sunday experiences, right? The way defenses are going to adjust or the way people disguise or the way that maybe your receiver responds when he sees coverage a little bit different than you. So now is it better to throw it away or tuck it down and run all the things that go into the most difficult position to play, which is quarterback, you know, how are you going to respond? And then like, to your point, think about the, I think it's the last seven games or something. That guy's got like 20, you know, 20 touchdowns and one interception. I mean, it's just, he has just played above the numbers. I don't care how well plays are designed. You know, there's tips. There's all kinds of freaky things that happen in football. It's he, he's protected the ball the way he has and still been as accurate and, and as, as lethal as they have been offensively putting up points. It's just cool to watch, man. I, I, love, I love success. And, and tip your cap to the Packers, man. Patience pays. And, you know, we run guys out of the league in two years now, man, which is absolutely freaking ridiculous. And like they can't play. And, uh, you know, you always feel bad, you know, and you're like, hey, they're going to give them an opportunity early, but if they can't grab it, they can't CJ shroud it, which so few really can. They write it off and go to the next guy. And uh, good for them for being patient. Good for love, man, for, for mm-hmm. grinning and bearing it for the time he has. And, um, you know, having a performance like you just did the other day, man, it's, it's, it's what it's all about. It's just, you know, some organizations like the Ravens, for example, are always good at finding defensive players, right? When they draft the yep. the linebacker that slips, you go, damn, that guy's probably going to be somebody, right? Safety, they get, they, that's right. like they draft Kyle Hamilton and you go, that's going to work out. The Steelers seem to always hit on the wide receiver in the draft that gets a little overlooked and you go, damn, this guy's going to end up being good. He's going to, he's going to have a better career than you think. I would just want to be a Packers fan where whenever you take a quarterback, you're like, he's going to be good. That's he's going to be yeah. an elite quarterback. <laughs> That's probably the position group where you, you really feel as though as an organization, you can just nail it every single time. Um, and let me put it to you this way. Out of all the quarterbacks that are remaining in the NFC, do you think love is the best of them? Oh, of all left in the NFC, is he the best of them? I would say yeah. the, um, he's probably so you got the, Baker, the hottest. You got Goff. Yeah. yeah, you got Purdy yeah, and I him. Wouldn't put, yeah, I would put, you know, Goff played lights out the other night. Man, that mm-hmm. last pass he threw was a freaking dart, dude. And you could yep. see all the emotion in that thing when he ripped it. I think, I mean, still, it's hard for me to get off of Purdy as well as, as, mm-hmm. as a Love has played. Um, and man, we're splitting hairs here, right? Like you're like, sure. cause Purdy had the bad game against the Ravens, right? So he's got four picks, I think in that game or whatever. So his numbers aren't going to look as good, but man, he's managed. I mean, he's managed this team as well as you can manage. He's young. I mean, people act like, but you know, the dude didn't even play last year in the play after he tears his freaking arm up and then he, he comes back and then lights this thing up this year. It's just, you know, again, man, these young players and their ability to fight through the adversity they have. Um, and so, yeah, love's probably the hottest of all of them, I would say. Like, he's seeing it as well. Um, but, man, all, all of them. I mean, uh, you know, you saw Mayfield last night, right? And, and um, you're, you saw golf before. They're just – these guys are just playing um, exceptional football. And it's why – listen, it's why they're winning. I mean, you know, like, like there's no, there should be no secret – you know, it's hard to win this game if if your quarterback's not playing well, um, and and those guys are, and so it's it's uh, it's great matchups to see, and and you 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 just see, you know, I, it, Purdy though for me has been um, people have just tried to bash him even though they've been successful mm-hmm. and act like they're winning in spite of, 
and and I'm just not a fan of that. They're not winning in spite. They're winning because of. Yeah, it's it's weird to me because the Purdy conversation should be easy to me. Like, and I think that the Niners, it, it's going to be really tough for the Packers to slow down the run game and all the added weapons they have right on that team. Just so many problems. But the Purdy right. conversation is simple to me. It's like, is is the team extremely talented? Absolutely. Do they have arguably the best offensive coach in the NFL? For sure. But he's he's clearly able to execute it, and he's clearly been an elevator. Like we saw Jimmy Garoppolo with a lot of those same weapons, and I th- like he went to a Super Bowl. This is a capable guy. But Brock Purdy's better. You saw what happened when he got knocked out last year. You've seen what happens yep. when yeah, just it, he's a good quarterback. Is he a great one? I don't yeah. know. I think that's going to be the thing that's always really hard to tell with Brock Purdy. Right. And but but here's my thing is like who cares? Like their team is gonna be great with him on it, right? It's like if we're trying to you know, I ain't trying to put the guy in the Hall of Fame. I'm trying to I'm trying to win games. You know, if you're the forty ers you start going to win Super Bowls, let me tell you, all that takes care of itself because all of a sudden everybody's great. You know, so let's yeah. go let's go take care of the things we can control, not worried about the narrative of, of it. And I think let, let's say this about the Packers too, because and, and, and listen, I'm even guilty of this. Like they they took significant abuse while while Aaron was there about not drafting a receiver, about taking love, and about doing it the way they're doing it. And even I said it, man, like, you know, because their offense wasn't nearly as productive as I thought it would be. I was like, man, they should have went and got a dude. And and but they they withstood it, right? Shanahan, the same thing, dude. He does not give a rip, bro. When he moved on and was like, Purdy is our guy. We're going to go here and we're going to push it this way. I mean, they have just been so steadfast, never moved off the mark. And it's hard. Listen, it's hard to fight fans, right? It's hard to fight people, the narratives that people try to design around your, uh, around your organization. But those guys have stayed the course and it's pay, it's paying off. Hey, Jeff, there you go, thinking like a football player again. You you know who cares? Us, media, guys, you, you That's now, right. in the media, us yeah. talking about it. All right, we got to have stuff to talk about. That's how we talk about it. We need to That's frame right. it in little boxes because otherwise it's too hard to <laughs> put, it, put it any other way. Okay, last one, dude, before uh, we let you go. And again, thanks so much for the time. But okay, so the Bills, the, the premier game of the weekend is Bills Chiefs. Like, there's just no doubt about yeah. it. It's bad blood. It's uh, a team that's trying to get over the mountaintop and they're finally getting a host of Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes' first ever playoff road game, which is insane at this point, seeing as it feels like now he's been around for forever. But the Bills, okay, they're hosting and their running game is looking a little bit better. Josh Allen just played great. But Andy Reid and Mahomes have two extra days to prepare. And it's for a team, I'm guessing that they were assuming that they were going to play. And so for us on the outside, again, now, now be the football player, be the guy who's been a coach in the league. What does that mean? Having those two extra days? It helped of players. Like as far as scheme, I'm just telling you, man, like at this point mm-hmm. in the season, there's not a whole lot. It's all been put in, man. I mean, there's a wrinkle, there's a play, there's two, but you're going to have them anyway, whether you have the extra day or not that, you know, that the Bills aren't changing their defense from, you know, from yesterday to today, right? Or neither are the Chiefs. Like, it, you, you're the leopard. You got spots, bro. They are where they are. And so, but that I will say the advantage, in my opinion, is the days of rest. And as a player, the the fatigue of long season, you know, the, the pushback of the game, you know, all the different um, – I guess obstacles that the Bills had to deal with. The game was going to be on this day. Now it's not. Now we're going to push it back. We got to know, you know, know our travel ban or whatever it is. And so now we're going to like you don't think as a fan that really if you, you, you as a fan you're you're affected by 
hey, when are we going to show up and watch the game? But those guys, like your routine gets messed up. And, and you, as a player, habits matter, right? And, and, and we're like creatures of habit. And we go through and it's like, it's like Groundhog Day, right? Like every Monday is a Monday. Every, you know what I mean by that? It's like, you know, and you have little, little wrinkles throughout the season, but they're not significant. That was significant, man. It's a, it's a losing you go home and they're moving your game a day. And now on the other end, you're short. But I, I will tell you, McDermott's going to frame it as, you know, the league, you know, the league favors, you know, the Chiefs, but don't nobody care. Only people who care are the 53 in this room, and we're, we can shut everybody up by, by sticking it to them and going and taking care of our business. And so that's really what they're going to have to to draw on. But schematically, not a lot of difference, man, in, in all honesty. It's just the, it's just the actual, um, you know, rest and recuperation that you get to kind of grab an extra day or two uh, that, 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 that as a player, I mean, it's, that's like that's like a week that's like a week off, bro. I mean, every day is like a week off. You just feel so much better, um, and so that is definitely the advantage. Well, especially coming off both those teams playing in the cold, right? And I, I just yeah. imagine that's so much more taxing on your body. Like that Bills game, they lost so many players. They just everybody was getting beat up and banged up. And uh, okay, so the snow didn't, or the the field wasn't full of snow, and the wind didn't affect anybody. But it looked like those guys were playing on concrete. And maybe that's the part oh, of this that we've sure. missed is is that. Yeah, how as a player when you play on liter- the the frozen tundra as uh, your as your uh, colleague Chris Berman would put it that that's the real toll is that it even a- that adds up on your body. Absolutely, there there is there is no doubt. Just the, you know the physical fatigue again playing late, getting up like all of those things. Now the one advantage for them is they're at home, which you know yeah. you, you're so fired up, you don't got to go get on a plane, you don't got to go. You're gonna sit you're gonna sit at home and have that day. Um, that, that, that the Chiefs are traveling, but but you know because if they had to travel, that would be, that'd be like a double dip, you know. But at least they do get mm-hmm. that day uh, to be home and have that extra, you know, that extra time to rest and not have to get on a plane. But you're exactly right. And listen, that's a that was a physical game, man. I mean, you know, like like mm-hmm. the Steelers don't just show up and 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 toss in the towel. I mean, the score might not have been. I know it got to seven points at one point, but it really was never sure. in significant doubt. But man, like. They still them, them dudes show up to play, bro. They're 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 strapping them helmets up and they want to pop and hit and and that's one thing Tomlin always brings. Um, and so to your point, it is it's it's a physical fatigue that they'll have to to overcome. And and uh, but I'm with you, bro. This is a circle them up, man. This is as this is as fun as it gets. Uh, Allen and Mahomes, man. I mean, I'm I'm not sure it can be um, you know it, it, it can be more fun than these two at this point in the year. No, it's absolutely perfect. It's perfect. It just fits the eye. You know, it's the quarterbacks, it's the names, right. it's the history, it's the colors of the down to the colors of the uniforms. It's just it's this is as good as it gets. Uh, hey man, right. I always appreciate the time that you make, uh, especially right now during busy season. Thanks so much for coming on, Jeff. You're the man. Heck yeah! Have a great one. You too, pal. God, it is it is going to be a great one. This this game is sexy. This is what the season's for. Get me to this football game. That I can't. This is a game where if you're a Bills fan, you're my buddy Ariel Hawani, you're my buddy Pat. God, you're just you're Alish Forfar. You are sweating when there's the warm-ups where they're just there, there's the shot of Josh Allen, you know, helmet on, warming up the arm, throwing the football. Cut away to Patrick Mahomes doing his drop back. Woo! Woo! Too hot. 
too hot. Okay, so on this game, I, I gotta I gotta get into this game first, and then I gotta speak on Lamar for a minute here. Allen versus Mahomes. I think the stakes are pretty damn clear. If you're a Bills fan, you're you're obviously trying to win a Super Bowl. That's that's the main thing. But the stake, the secondary sneaky stake is I think if Josh Allen beats Mahomes, he has the belt as the number one QB in the NFL. This is uh, I've been feeling this way for a long time. I know Chiefs fans say it's blasphemy. I get it. I respect all the winning that Mahomes has done. I respect that this is his first playoff game on the road. All those things. I know he is the standard bearer. I understand all of this, right? I don't think that there's like a wide gap between these two players, though. And some guys have ebbs and flows. And the the pass catchers for Mahomes this year have been awful. The drop balls, the inconsistent route running, everything about it. They just they they have not been able to find another game breaker. Travis Kelsey slowing down. Rishi Rice maybe looking like he's just coming on, but even uh, even when he's had his moments, he's never strung it together in a way that you go, "Damn, I'd sure love to have Rishi Rice on my team." Come on, let's be serious. But I, Mahomes has got to wear some of this. He's got to wear some of this, and the one thing that I that I think separates these dudes at this point in time in their careers is it really feels like all of the Buffalo bills have completely bought in on Josh Allen and that he's completely bought in on all of them. And there is just a, like, it's weird because Stefan Diggs, he started the season. The bills looked like they were collapsing around them and it was about their coach. And it was Diggs on the same page. His brother's tweeting. But now I just feel like these guys are all in for Josh Allen and Mahomes. He's had some moments where he's buried his guys. He's whined about the officiating. It's just, it's, it's been a different year for Mahomes. All right. It, it just has. And maybe he just comes out and he balls out and he's like, yo, JD, you're an idiot. As if you ever thought that anybody was on my level. I'm going to, I'm going to tear up this bill, this bill's defense. That isn't fully healthy. This bill's defense. That's missing a bunch of DBs and linebackers. You don't think that me and Andy we're scheming it up. We're going to make sure that we take advantage of every single one of these guys. We're going to stress test all these guys. All of a sudden we're going to clean up our issues in the red zone and I'm going to start dotting it. And I finish this game in the cold and Buffalo with three touchdowns and 350 yards. Yeah. That possibility is there. All I'm saying is if there's, there's that's, that's on the table for me. That is on the table for me is Josh Allen goes out there, whoops ass, carries his team to a win. And we're saying right now that's the best quarterback in the NFL. All due respect to Lamar. He's the MVP this season in my eyes. Josh Allen is actually higher up the ladder. If I had a vote, than a lot of other players that got a lot more attention this season, most notably the guy in Dallas, Dak Prescott, who a lot of people had as the MVP. Allen was brilliant down the stretch for this team. They don't get anywhere close unless they have who I think is right now the second best quarterback in the NFL. But man, he does this and, and I think he's got the belt. And if you're Buffalo, I know you got the injuries. I know you got the short week. I know that the deck is stacked against you in some ways here. But if, if you don't win at home against this version of the Chiefs that has had whew, the by far the worst season of Mahomes' career, right? That, that looks this depleted when it comes to pass catchers. That has a good defense, but you should be able to elevate over this. If you can't win this game in Buffalo, it feels like you're never going to get over the hump and that they're just going to stay the boogeyman with you forever. Yeah, Josh Allen's young, but there's there's clearly a pivot coming with the the Bills here soon. There's some aging players and Josh Allen, you got him. You're in it every single year, but boy, it's just it. It's going to be a depressing loss for Bills fans if they just if they if they can't win this one. And it should be noted that I was reading yesterday that 
Mahomes, he's playing this game on the road, but all of his numbers essentially across the board are uh, better on the road. Ooh, that's not, that's not a great, it's not a great thing this year. He's been nasty. His like completion percentage, his yards per attempt, his sack rate, everything up on the road. Anyway, I can't wait for this game. I, I, I like there's few sporting moments where I'm this excited and I'm, I'm envious of Bills and Chiefs fans. Not so much Chiefs fans because I, I sorry Chiefs fans, you've already won a bunch, and I, I don't think that like you have really anything to lose here. You're not the the team or the you don't have the player that has all the stakes this weekend. Yeah, it's great. We're gonna celebrate Mahomes if he ends up winning this game, and that's gonna be more Mahomes mania. Great, 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 great. But come on, this got to be the Buffalo Bills moment. Come on, Bills, get this thing done. Get this thing done. The other stake for the weekend with Lamar Jackson. CJ Stroud is not the quarterback that Baltimore faced in week one. And I know it's a nine and a half spread. And I, I see the scenario in this game where it is just an utter beatdown. By the way, go to my Twitter and Instagram at JD Bunkus. If you want to all my picks and all my gambling for this weekend, that's where I'll be putting it. No, I won't be doing it in the show, but doing it there. Go to my socials, follow there. I'll be posting Saturday and Sunday, letting you know exactly what I'm going to be picking, how I'm going to be feeling, what I'm going to be playing. Did very poorly last Saturday, better on Sunday and good on Monday. So maybe I'm building something. Maybe I'm building momentum for these playoffs, but Lamar's one and three in the postseason. He's got as many playoff wins as CJ Stroud has. He's got less than Brock Purdy. He's got less than Jared Goff. It's it, it, he needs this. He cannot have this failure on his resume because if this, if this happens to Lamar Jackson, if they lose this game to CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans, that officially becomes a thing. He becomes, he becomes what David price was in baseball. It just, it it is, that's the way it's going to be. We will view Lamar Jackson as man, awesome regular season player, but just cannot get it done in the postseason. He's, he's a choke artist. He just, he, whatever it is, there's something about him. He can't get over the hump in the, in the playoffs. The, the lights get too bright and the, the Ravens fold nine and a half favorites this season, a bye week already haven't beaten this team, that defense, a defensive coordinator that is going to be interviewed for just about every single job in the NFL, a head coach who just saw his brother win a national championship game, more weapons than Lamar has had in a very long time. The emergence of Isaiah likely Trey flowers has been a real hit for them. And then they've got a cavalcade of guys that give them just a little bit of something every once in a while, right? Whether it's the Aguilars or uh, it's the old guys. It's the old guys that give them a little something. And the Bateman, who was a miss for them. But they they give them always, it feels like one of those guys every single game gives them a little bit of something. The, the running back situation is a bit spotty for Baltimore in this game. But let's be honest, this this has to be against that Texan secondary. And credit to D'Amico Ryans. Awesome year, good defense. Got the most out of this team. Clearly have something special happening in Houston. But this should not be your year. This should be Baltimore's year. This has to be Baltimore's year. And even if they, if, if you lose to Kansas City next round or to Buffalo next round, whatever, okay? Those are, those are two Super Bowl contending teams. But you lose this game, nine and a half point favorites, to a team that wasn't even supposed to be here. I don't know. That, that feels like it's going to take a Super Bowl to wash that stain from Lamar's resume. And I, I do wonder how... The pressure of that, like, are they going to be fast and free? Are they going to just go and dominate? This this game feels to me like the biggest key for the Ravens is do not fall behind early like the Cowboys. That's what I would not want to see if I was a Ravens fan, if I was my brother. 
who has everything invested in this game, even bought a new jersey for this game. <laughs> Dork move, but yeah, he bought a new jersey to sit on his couch to watch the Ravens. Uh, I'm just telling you, you lose this game, Baltimore. You fall behind in this game. You know, you all of a sudden, boom, Texas, they, they get on the board first, seven nothing. Oh, Baltimore punt. That same Green Bay. That, that Green Bay formula against Dallas where they punch them on the nose. They watch their eyes water up. And then Dak Prescott looked bewildered. And all of a sudden, he's over. He's making tough throws. Can't get on the same page with CeeDee Lamb. I could see that script for Baltimore. I could see them just blowing the doors off Houston. I could see it being a close game. I could see a lot of different scenarios for this one. But that this feels way more on the table as an upset than with all due respect to the Packers who, God, it, it, what are they, the second youngest team in all of football, those pass catchers and Jordan Love emerging and some of the guys that they have on that defense. Just, I, I think if you were drafting teams right now in terms of who you would want to be for the next 10 years, Packers and Texans would be very, very high on the list, which is sickening, which is truly, truly sickening as a Seahawks fan to see the Packers just immediately turn back into this and have a guy. But I don't know. The Ravens, I'm, I'm a little scared for the Ravens. I'm a little scared for the Ravens. And then, yeah, the, I, I, I love my Lions. I'm rooting for my Lions. I think that they're going to take care of business. I don't like to even speak on it because I don't want to jinx them. But it is kind of the, the funny element of this game is huge stakes for Jared Goff, who, yeah, he beat the Rams. He beat the Rams. He got his revenge. That's nice. He's a hero in Detroit, and he will be forever for providing that home playoff win. But if he can do it again, all of a sudden he's on the precipice of being able to grab a Super Bowl for himself. And if he was to grab a Super Bowl for Detroit, which I know is just insane to think about, but if he even gets that game, he's been to two Super Bowls. Like we, we got to talk about Jared Goff just a little bit differently, but the, the stakes there to me are for Baker Mayfield, because if he wins this game and he, like if he, if he wins, it's going to be on his back because their running game is just not overly impressive. But if he wins, he gets to be the new Jared Goff that we talk about. And we go, is this guy actually good? Did we write this guy off too early? What, what is this guy, of the NFL? Okay. Maybe he's not one of the top five guys, but is he a top 12? Is he a top 10? Like where, where does he sit here? He's going to end up getting big money. Maybe Tampa Bay becomes his team. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty big Baker game, pretty big Baker game. Anyways, go to my Instagram, my Twitter. I'll be posting my picks this weekend. I I feel good about some of them. I certainly feel good about my picks, uh, especially props wise in the Niners and the Ravens games. Um, by the way, ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All Star Game, yeah, we're giving away two. We're giving away two sets today because somebody me. Uh, forgot to do it the day before. But yeah, we're giving away tickets to the 24 Rogers NHL All-Star Game Fanfare that is coming to Toronto. Family four packs of tickets. You, you come on down, listen for the code word, come collect these tickets. You got a big family, you got some friends, you want to head down to this sucker, listen right now for the code word and make sure that you get in on this. But yes, it's coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th. So listen for the daily code word in episodes of this podcast till January 26th which is weirdly fastly approaching, then text the code word to 590-590 to be entered for your chance to win. Today's code word is Roger's Hardest Shot. Our next code word will be Monday. However, if you don't get tickets, they're available for, for purchase at nhl.com backslash fanfare. Get them while supplies last. I, I, I really do think that this is going to be a great event for, for just about everybody. The challenger for this main event this weekend for UFC 297 in Toronto. Drake is Duplessis. That's next on the JD Bunkers podcast.
the most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Very pleased to be joined by Undefeated in the UFC, challenging Sean Strickland for the UFC Middleweight Championship of the World. And in the main event on Saturday, it's Dracus Duplessis. Uh, how did I do on your name? Because I, I think everyone does it just like a little bit oh, different. You absolutely nailed it. Oh, hell yes, brother. Duplessis, nailed it. Nailed yes, it. But I, I love the introduction. Undefeated, yeah. main event, Saturday night. Now I only need you to not say challenger and say champion. Then I'll okay, be yeah. over the moon. That's up to you, though. <laughs> I did my part. That's yours. You know, that's but, my job. Yeah. That's my job. Yeah, I did my part. Um, I got your name right. Exactly. It's like, you know, I'm going to give this. I, the fact that you got my name right means you're good at your job. All right. Let's see. Yeah, you know what? Clip that. Clip that, Armin. Put that there. See, that's uh, that's proof for him, for the production staff. Okay. So let's start with this, brother. I just saw a video of you shaking hands with Sean Strickland. I was like, that was the last video I saw of the two of you was fighting in the stands. What has changed? Yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, this is never personal. So, yeah. uh, you know, what happened in the stands was a situational thing where, you know, obviously I boosted his ego in the in the press conference. Then we had the night after that we had the event. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there was a lot of world up emotion in him, and you know I I, I took advantage of that. And what yeah. happened happened. I mean, we were we are two warriors. We are two gladiators, and we if you put them in that close proximity, especially when one's ego is hurt, that's going to be two alphas trying to fight to see whose territory it is. But it was never personal. You know, I have no um, animosity towards him. And I basically, this wasn't us becoming friends. This was us. Mm-hmm. It was an honor among thieves. This was us walking. I walked into the hotel. I saw him. I walked to him. If we were going to fight again, I don't know how he's going to react. If he still has that insecurity, we're going to fight right now. And I'm going to face you and we're going to do it. Or we're going to shake hands and then settle this on Saturday night. Because then we could both get paid and... You know, we can do what uh, what we're here for. So it, it and, does. Uh, you know, it was a we, sh- we shook hands. We uh, we agreed that Saturday night is the night where we can do this, and uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, uh, it does seem like the fight in the stands was legit, though. Like it wasn't a work. Oh, one hundred percent. Well, if it was, people. Uh, some people said that it was staged, and I was just thinking. Guys, if it was stage, please, next time you want to stage something like this, please let me know as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty unfair if one guy knows about it and one guy doesn't. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, it was. There was 100%. That was, a, that was 100%. What happened, happened you know, uh, wasn't the best example we said, and that's one thing I am sorry for, but, you know, these things happen. We all make mistakes, and we all, uh, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes the uh, emotions take over. So I, I've seen you in other interviews, right? And like you said, good on my job, watching some other clips of you and getting prepared for this and uh, watch you at media conferences before. And you seem very calm for a guy that's heading into such a big fight for his career. Like this is going to be your first five round fight. This is going to be your first championship fight in the UFC. Um, you are carrying that weight of undefeated. I'm, I'm curious, has this always been who you are? Is this something that you've developed as a fighter? Because, yeah, even talking to you now, it seems like, yeah, you've got nothing going on this week. You're just like, yeah, I'm home, chilling. It's like, no, you're in Toronto to fight for a championship belt. Yeah, 100%. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a bit of both. You know, I get those nerves like everybody else. I get extremely anxious, but not in a bad way. Not the Anxious not to add with. I, uh, I get that same feeling in me. It's about how I react to that. You know, I know I'm here for a fight. 
and I feel the exact same way. People say, no, you look so calm when you get in there. And I go, in me, I feel the exact same anxiety or call it anxiety, call it nerves that I felt in my very first ever professional fight mm. when I was 19 years old. When I was 19 years old, I was a kid and I didn't have the, the mental training. I didn't have the, the mental toughness yet to know exactly how to deal with it. So, I mean, I was just taking it on the stride and as experience um, became a part of my, my game, I had more fights, more title fights, had a lot of fights finally, you know, beating a guy like Robert Whitaker mm-hmm. uh, on a big, big hot fighting on international fights with three times. That gave me a kind of mental grit, you know, and obviously focusing on mental training a lot, uh, the mental aspect of the game. It, it doesn't take away the, the fear, it doesn't take away the, the anxious feeling, no. But what, uh, what it does, it, it gives me the, the tools necessarily mentally to deal with it and in the correct way. I think that's really insightful. I will say this too, is I, I think that that's relatable to all walks of life, but I'm especially fascinated by it when it comes to fighters. 100%. But because, you know, as much as we might, uh, we might use these things like we, it's always a euphemism for us where it's like, you know, I'm going in a war today at work. It's like, no, you're not. I'm going to go do a podcast. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's not a battle. Yeah. Your thing is a true battle. Like you are going to close a cage and have to fight another human being in a very, very dangerous way. And so, Yes, as you just said, a lot of this comes from just experience, right? But how much of that mental training is things that you've actually practiced outside of just gaining confidence through winning fights? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm giving that uh, the, the experience, I'll give, uh, I'll give credit to 50%. The mental training with my mental coaches, with the... With the uh, so all experience, my whole 10 years career, I would give 50% to my mental strength. Um, then... The other, no, I'll take that back. I'll give 25% to that. The other 50% I'll give to my upbringing. I'll give it to my, where I'm from. I'll give it to my father, my brother. He's falling within me, showing me how a man should be, showing me that regardless of the situation, there's, there's always a solution to any problem and that, you know, things aren't always going to be perfect, but it's about how you react to them that's going to make them perfect. Hmm. And the other 25% is the mental exercises. The talking to my mental coach, you know, being present in the situation and, and accepting the fact that there is fear going into a fight, always. The fear of failure, the fear of losing, the fear of uh, humiliation, all that, and dealing with that within you mm. and making sure that that fear doesn't take over and that you, that you react to that accordingly. It's not the fact that you can make it go away, but it's the fact that you can accept that it's there and deal with it. See, that's the part that I think that people should be applying. Because I, I feel like a lot of people think that 100%. you don't feel the fear, that you don't acknowledge the fear, or that, you know, there's something in a guy like you that does something like that. And they say, well, I'm scared, so I'm a coward. Or, and, but this guy, he's brave. He's just like, no, the braver is your ability to push past that and to actually be able to say, yeah. I accept these things that they're happening, but I'm still going to try. I'm not going to let that stop me from doing the thing that I want to accomplish. And I think that a lot of us, and I'm myself included in many different ways in my life, this has been this way, but sometimes that fear can be debilitating and it can stop you from the thing. So yeah, that's a, that's really interesting and really insightful. So yeah, the, the actual physical part of this, or maybe they're just tied in together, but you haven't fought more than three rounds in the UFC. And, and I'm curious how much your training regiment has been altered 
with this being a championship fight? Because yeah, you, you know, and, and again, in another interview I saw with you with Ariel Hawani, you talked about how, Hey, uh, everyone's talking about his pace. I got a pretty damn good pace too. And if people saw the Whitaker fights, like the way, you know, you finish that thing off, it's like, that's a lot of pace. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot, a lot of pace. Do you feel as though you were always kind of prepared? Like, do you normally prepare as though it's going to go deeper in a fight? How has this one been different from a training standpoint, from a cardio standpoint, so that you can, yeah, maintain that that level? Yeah, uh, the way I would explain it is it's a five-rounder, so immediately everything you do goes five instead of three. Mm-hmm. But in, 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 in the way we prepared, like I said, I've always I've been a, a title fight in title fight before the UFC. So for the past two and a half years, I've been in the UFC preparing for three-rounders. Mm. But for six years before that, since I was the age of since 20 years old, I've only had I've only had five round fights. For six years, five round fights is the only fight I had, and um, and that gave me the, the 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 ability to know that what it feels like to prepare for five rounds, which is different. And uh, but at the end of the day, you have to realize in a five round fight, there's still around one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. and in a three-round fight is round one, two, and three. And if you lose round one, you have to win round two and three. You have to, otherwise you're leading that fight. If I spend time worrying about round four and five, and I lose round one and two, I have to win round three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be in that situation. It's about taking it in the stride, winning every minute, winning every round, regardless of how dominant. And if the finish presents itself, you take that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You take the opportunity given to you at any time in a fight because you don't know if you're going to get it again. Because at this level, there are very few mistakes. At this level, there are very few opportunities to finish a fight. So creating those opportunities, working for them, and as soon as they present themselves, not thinking about, I'm not going to go for the finish because if your opponent's hurt in the first, I'm not going to not go for a finish because they're around four and five. No. Mm-hmm. I'm concentrating on the round I'm in and approaching each round and giving my full attention to that round because otherwise you see people not pulling the trigger because they're waiting for round four and five and then it's too late. Again, I like that answer too. It's just like, Hey, t- tackle what is directly in front of you. Um, so there's a, there's a feeling that we have as Canadians uh, we're very, we're, we're, we're self-conscious about something, which is the weather, right? We always want people to not just obsess over how cold it is here, but then it seems like when we host, I don't know why I love it. Okay. Well, that's nice of you to say to it because here's, here's the thing. Whenever it seems like a lot of times when we host major events, like we had the NBA all-star weekend, uh, a few years back. And of course the NBA all-star weekend ends up falling on what is the coldest week of the year. And we've actually had like a very mild winter. It hasn't been very cold at all. And then of course the UFC is in town and you arrive a guy from you know South Africa, and boom, uh, it's freezing. All of a sudden, we get our blisters, we get our cold. How, yeah, you you love it. You've been in, like, what have you been doing? You've been doing stuff outside. Have you been stapled inside? Yeah, yeah I mean, I've been outside. I went to swim in Lake Ontario. No, you didn't. Um, you went swimming in Lake Ontario. Embedded episode two. Swimming. Yeah, I went in there and I uh, went for a swim. It was the <laughs> coldest experience I've had in my whole life. Oh yeah. Died. But it was like minus eleven degrees on the beach. And uh yeah, when it broke like glass as I walked on the beach, the beach was frozen solid. Yeah. I go, I went into the water, took a dive. Everybody went into like their hips. I went I dove in to three degree water. I do that at home in a cold lunch, but I didn't consider the fact that 
after a cold run get home, it's 40 degrees Celsius outside. Yeah, no kidding. No, now it was minus 11, and I get out, and by the time I get out of the water, my hair is frozen solid. Completely. Yeah. And yeah. this is... Now I can't tell I'm trying to take... Um, put on my pants. I put my pants on. I put my... my, my um, jacket on but I, I can't put my shoes on my feet are basically freezing off yeah and I can't put my shoes on and because now my my shoelaces are still tied from when I took them off and I can't use my fingers it's too cold <laughs> and I just realized this is a big problem when like somebody had to untie <laughs> yeah. my shoes and then I'm thinking I don't know how long it takes for for somebody's fingers to fall off and I have a fight my coach is going to yeah. kill me that's the way and I'm looking I at this. I just went home. It took me an hour to warm up. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, and it was a seven-minute walk back to the car from the beach. Yeah, you really didn't think this through, so, eh? Yeah. yeah was, like, for a guy with all this preparation, yeah, I'm, we like, didn't, we didn't be, I'm like, wow, this guy's so thoughtful. Yeah, he's really you know, preparing know, mentally. I know it's going to be cold, and then you're going to get out. But yeah. I didn't realize the real cold starts <laughs> when you get out, because yeah. back home, it's different. It's cold in the water, and then it's warm outside. Yeah. This is completely different. The water was much warmer than the, than the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but listen, mistakes were made and lessons were learned. Yeah. You know what, though? I can only, because I think about how, uh, who was it? It was Tony uh, Ferguson who slipped on cables, right? Behind the stage or something. With the, yeah. They were promoting a UFC event with uh, him and uh, who was it? It was Habib. It was the two of them. It was supposed to be a big Habib, super fight. Yeah. yeah, everybody was all excited for it. I cannot imagine what the headlines would have been like. Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, Dracus went for a swim in Lake Ontario, and uh, he got frostbite, and he's out of the fight. <laughs> that was so, uh, so that. possible. Imagine that. Like, that, was, that was going through my, my mind. I didn't even care about the, head, uh, the, the, the headlines. I just cared about my coach is going to, because yeah. he wasn't here yet. That was the day he was on his way here. You would have murdered me if that was the case. Yes. <laughs> I would have been, you know, the, the amount of preparation, uh, you know, how the measurements we went through to make sure that I don't get injured for this fight and that we manage every single thing perfectly. And I go and jump in a leg for, for, for a joke. And that's happened. And that would have been, uh, that would have been uh, bad. I would have probably gotten on a plane immediately and try to get back home yeah. before he gets to me. <laughs> hey, well, hey, man, I'm, I'm glad you're all right. Uh, I'm glad that this fight is still a go. And again, uh, it's this Saturday, UFC 297. You can watch the prelims starting at 8 p.m. on Sportsnet 360. Stream the pay-per-view prelims on Sportsnet Plus, which everybody should have. That's with your standard, your premium subscription. And of course, the main, car, the main card is available to order and stream on Sportsnet Plus at an additional cost. No subscription required. Visit www.sportsnetplus.ca backslash UFC to purchase. Uh, Dracus, thanks so much for the time, man. Good luck in the fight. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Chael Sonnen. Thanks to Jeff Saturday. Thanks to Dracus. And again, you can go finish that on the podcast if you if you were interested in what he has to say about the mentality. It was really insightful stuff. Really, really strong stuff. And again, we will catch you on Monday breaking down everything that's going down this weekend. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, review. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.